Hello, one and all, and welcome to the Super Show podcast. That's right. It's, I'd say, Jonesy, just about the only gaming podcast on the internet with the balls to bring you both juicy opinions and hot takes on Starfield that not only nobody asked for, but also doing it two weeks after the entire rest of the internet. And so I'm proud to be able to say joining me this week and being perpetually behind the times is my partner in crime. It's you. It's Mr. Alex Jones. How are you, sir? Um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was gonna, we were just sort of, yeah. we've had a few technical issues. And as you said, I'm rocking a bit of a Starfield look on my camera today. But yeah. Hey, you know, I, I think so. Uh, when I, when, when I saw your, uh, webcam pop up on Discord for the first time, I think I said that you were honoring Starfield by going for a low contrast, washed out, flat, broken HDR style look. Um, all you're missing is unnecessarily aggressive film grain and you would have completed the Todd Howard aesthetic. Hey, we can all be as Todd Howard as we want. So there you go. Yeah. Can, can you tell for folks at home, whether you're watching and or listening, can you tell that we actually played Starfield this week after with this being the third week in a row of actually doing minute? We can actually bring Starfield jokes to the podcast because um, we actually played it. And in even better news, I can confirm that the remainder of the podcast will be spent uh, discussing far more current affairs, perhaps even future affairs. We're going to be talking about Nintendo's alleged showing of the Switch 2 behind closed doors at Gamescom. Uh, we're also going to be talking about the potential return of some fan favorite franchises that the um, Big N might be delivering in an upcoming Direct that could be broadcasting on the airwaves as soon as this week. We'll have to wait and see. We'll probably find out. Like, we'll probably end the podcast journey in. Nintendo will have tweeted uh, because we all know that Miyamoto watches live and his, his, his only goal is to usurp all of our big hot takes and scoops. Uh, we're also going to talk about the uh, the shaky future of E3 and the somehow even shakier Jonesy future of the Embracer group who just might have embraced one too many studios. Um, all that and more still to come. So uh, as a reminder, if you're, enjoying, if you're enjoying what you're seeing, what you're hearing, uh, maybe you're here with us live on YouTube wherever you are, then you can uh, always join in the conversation at YouTube, as I mentioned, or on Twitter. The handle is the same at both places, at Super Show Pod. Join in the conversation. Like I said, jump in the live stream, jump in the live chat, leave a comment on the VOD if you miss it. Or, of course, if you don't like any of that stuff and all you want is goodness in your ear holes, then may I recommend you head over to a major podcasting platform of your choice, somewhere like Spotify, maybe iTunes, maybe even Google Podcasts, and you can get the audio version of this very experience. And of course, that same delight can be offered by Paisley Radio. The fine folks over at paisleyradio.com, they beam it out on Thursdays at 10 p.m. If you want to catch it over the digital FM radio airwaves, I don't, it's probably not how it works anymore. It's probably all just the internet because everything is the internet nowadays, Jonesy. Are you the internet? I am the, in I am the internet. I am the internet um, personified. Uh, also, can I give a quick shout out to some of the people that have joined us in chat? Oh, hell yeah. Uh, shout out to Kerry Bardino, Joel, Leo Mergan, Al Ashley. Al Ashley's saying, looks like I'm stuck in a flashback and I got stuck mid-transition. <laughs> so I like that. Maybe like a Wayne's World style of like doodle-doo-doo -doo -doo style. <laughs> uh, exactly. And uh, oh my God, I just realized how bad the bit rate was in the call between you and me because as soon as you started waving your hands, you turned into... It was like you applied an 8-bit filter <laughs> on a video game with retro throwback ambitions. Um, should we jump right into the news, Jonesy? 
Hell yeah, let's do it. Should we, just, should, we, should we just start breaking stories that other people have already broken, but pretending we broke them ourselves? Yeah. Um, because speaking of companies with somewhat retro ambitions, because Lord knows that their release slate is, is always as embedded in the past as it is in the future, let's talk about Nintendo a little bit. Um, because they were responsible for, I'd say, one of the biggest breaking news stories of the past week or so. Um, and that was the supposed... Alleged, we're going to have to break out all those words that kind of protect us in case there are any legal repercussions of these conversations. What are, should we run with alleged or do you, alleged? Alleged? Oh, that's a, the two alleged. questions. Which word do you like? And is it alleged or alleged? I think it's alleged. Alleged. Allegedly. Okay. I think they mean two different things. I reckon alleged Maybe. is like something you've said and, and allegedly is like something that happened. Do you, like, you, you could go, this has been alleged, but then you could say, this happened. Allegedly. One of them. Actually, I like that because then we get to do a cool voice afterwards. Maybe we can double team it. So if ever I forget to say allegedly, you can come in afterwards with an allegedly. And likewise, I'll offer you the same courtesy. Put it this way, if Chris was here, he'd be referring to these as confirmed rumors. And these are the rumors that, as I mentioned, Nintendo supposedly, actually, I've ruined it already. See, <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna do a layup one, but we're going to do it. These are the rumors that Nintendo presented the Switch 2 behind closed doors at Gamescom. Allegedly. Ah, thank you. See, it's like having a lawyer in the room. Um, I, I know I no longer have to plead the fifth when Miyamoto comes knocking at my door. Um, I just point at you. I feel like that's as legal as when people post that um, that blurb in to like Facebook that all these things are mine, you can't have them, and they're like, if you post that, it means they can't steal your stuff because that's what they do in the terms. It's like, yeah, that's, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't work. Yeah, that also sounded weirdly similar to the logic that some people try to use around NFTs. Like, no, I I do own this. This is mine. I have the paperwork to prove it. When actually, mm. right-click, save image as would suggest otherwise. Yeah. Um, but Jonesy, uh, you and I, and going back over the years, even including Chris, obviously, um, have spent no shortage of time talking about a potential follow-up to the Nintendo Switch. It's inevitable. Nintendo were going to make something. They weren't you know, done in the console business, not by a long shot, that Nintendo Switch has been a, a runaway success, even by Nintendo's, um, well, I guess, as of the Wii at least, um, pretty lofty standards. Um, and of course, you know, it's it's a console that's now been out in the wild for like seven or so years. Um, and so in, in that sense, the idea of the headline being a Switch 2 or something of that nature exists wasn't particularly engaging. Uh, but what sort of like caught your eye and mine was the way in which the Switch 2 is allegedly being shown off behind closed doors to certain partners. So if you'll allow me to get into the weeds just momentarily, partners were supposedly shown tech demos that were designed to uh, represent how well the system will run. Um, and so again, we're not looking at like locked in or confirmed hardware. We're talking about, I guess, representative hardware at this stage. The two demos that have been mentioned by, and our sources on this are Eurogamer, who broke the story, VGC, who corroborated it and then added a few layers to it. The first one, a bit more of a, an obvious home run, Jonesy, a souped-up version of Breath of the Wild that allegedly ran at 4K and at 60 frames a second. And the second, arguably far more interesting one, was of course the um, incredibly impressive Matrix Awakens Unreal Engine 5 tech demo that Jeff Keighley debuted at the Game Awards a couple of years ago that up to this point we'd only ever seen running natively on next-gen hardware. Uh, and if you're out there scratching your heads as to how Nintendo's presumably still hybrid console, I, I've got a feeling they're not going to drop that gimmick overnight, is managing all of this. 
one of the key pieces of technology that has been mentioned by these reports is NVIDIA's DLSS upscaling technology, deep learning super sampling, I think it is, which of course would allow the Switch successor to, for example, run the Breath of the Wild natively at something like 1920 by 1080p, and in NVIDIA's um, uh, incredibly t intelligent and smart tech would uh, double that resolution uh, using the aforementioned DLSS technology. Um, it's funny, we were having similar conversations about Starfield this week and about... It's funny that, that that's a thing conversation we need to have now. What native resolution are you rendering a video game at as opposed to what resolution are you seeing the game at or playing the game? Anyway. I need some DLSS I, on my webcam. I, I think you need more than just DLSS. I think you need DLSS 3.5. We're going to get some FSR 2.0 in there. <laughs> Let's just throw the book at the webcam. Um, but yeah, as, as I mentioned, Josie, I think it was it was more the demos and the idea of just how ambitious Nintendo were seemingly being with this console that caught our eye on this more than the fact that a Switch successor exists. Yeah, I think th there's always been the thing that um, Nintendo are kind of in a different league because they're not attempting to compete in the uh, cutting edge um, when it comes to graphical fidelity and things like that. But I mean, to be talking about, you know, the Switch 2 we've got to assume is imminent like next year. Um, and for them to be talking about uh, the Matrix Unreal Engine 5 tech demo and to be talking about, you know, like 4K 60 FPS um, Breath of the Wild, like is, I did not think we were going to be having these discussions around Nintendo and the Switch 2. Um, and we even joked at the time when Witcher came to, the Witcher 3 came to the Switch, it was sort of like, wow, what's that experience going to be like? But actually, right. if if they can genuinely get you know something working well and looking nice on the switch that suddenly does something interesting to the the whole console space to my mind um even if it even if it is utilizing nvidia and dlss technology well uh, there's nothing wrong right like uh, everyone else is nowadays like you know partnering with either amd or nvidia and and openly talking about your upscaling technology is a part of how some games are being promoted nowadays so nothing wrong but you did touch on a really interesting point there with the witcher 3 um, which I, there's a fantastic discussion over on the Digital Foundry channel if you want to go and hear those guys who are far more of a tech aficionado than, than myself, at least. I won't speak for you, Jonesy. They're talking about the, Thank you. the you know, these Twitch <laughs> 2 rumors. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, but like, it's one of those things where if you saw, you know, if, if, the, if we were in the build-up to the Switch, like you saw those initial trailers or adverts, people playing fucking like Splatoon 2 on a rooftop or however those... <laughs> TV commercials went, and then someone also said, "Oh, by the way, this thing's going to one that run The Witcher Three. You go, "Oh shit!" Like, what's happening inside that box? And then you see The Witcher Three running on natively on Switch, and you go, "Oh, that's what's happening in that box." How skeptical are you, having you know, given that you just mentioned The Witcher Three? How skeptical are you that the reality behind The Matrix Awakens UE Five tech demo running on this hardware is something akin to what it's like seeing a Witcher 3 or a Doom 2016 running on the Switch and going, oh, that's how they made it work. Uh, I am very skeptical that we're going okay. I'm, I'm, to... Do you know what to me, in some respects, it's almost... And when, you, when we talk about like tech demos behind the scenes and that people are being shown how this will look and how this will work, in some sense, um, we've heard about it before where like PlayStation or, or um, you know Xbox will say, this is how this will look and they effectively are running a super souped up pc but they're showing off their game and you know you, you're seeing it before it's been optimized for console and it's before it's actually been ported to that system um 
in some sense, I'm part of me wonders if they're you're walking in the room and they've got a PlayStation Five in a box that you can't see, and they're going, "Look how good we've got Breath of the Wild running." And you go, this is how it will look on the Switch. But then when they actually come to the realities of shipping components, what they can actually you know do at at cost, um, it's it's always that thing of um, the concept car versus what they actually bring to market. And I don't want to be mean to yeah. Nintendo. Like they they have. Obviously, they make incredible tech, but I would be surprised if we are surprised at how good it ends up looking. If that's to, if that's fair, but then but then they don't yeah. need to. They don't need to. Like, what do you reckon? Do you think it's going to come out like blowing people's socks off with how good it looks? No, I I I actually totally agree with everything you just said. I I would be surprised if we're surprised, but at the same time, like I don't need we we don't need to be surprised. I think the thing about the Switch and the success story that it's become is it's you know made a very clear case for itself as this sort of fringe case on in terms of video game hardware. And while there was sort of this arms race that played out at times, especially uh, between uh, Sony and Microsoft, Microsoft in particular really gunning at times for that you know most powerful console on the market kind of title. Yes, you can make the argument that Nintendo have re- have never cared about that. But this was the generation where they really never cared about that. Like they didn't even come close to like try. Like you go back to the Wii U when the Wii U launched. The Wii U wasn't a powerful console, but they went out and they got like I can remember random games like a port of Mass Effect Three and a port of Arkham City, and like they were still trying to get Call of Duty and stuff like that at the time. Like a lot of those desires, a lot of those ambitions, completely left the room when the Switch came out, and I don't think they have that much of a desire to go back to the well on that front. I don't think Nintendo's, you know, suits are sitting around sweating over whether or not, you know, a future Assassin's Creed is going to be able to run natively on the Switch. It might be possible based on some of this reporting, but I don't think that's the objective. I think it's just... Um, I think I think they're probably just trying to be smart about it. You know, I, whilst Nintendo have never actively pursued make the, 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 you know, the, end, the idea of making the most high-end console, I also don't think they you know, play dumb on purpose. And I think the opportunity to have a relationship with someone like NVIDIA, the opportunity to take advantage of very quickly growing in sort of both in terms of popularity, but also also in terms of effectiveness technology like DLSS to kind of take away some of the heavy lifting and also just kind of give their developers more room, more room to stretch their legs and make incredibly impressive titles going forward. I think it still makes sense to embrace more future-looking hardware but I agree with your kind of like fundamental takeaway that I still would be surprised if we're surprised. Um, yeah. It's, they've, Nintendo have managed to somehow get themselves into a really interesting space where they shouldn't, they kind of shouldn't be able to exist, right? Because it's not, um, it doesn't console as well as a console. It doesn't handheld as well as a something like <laughs> the um, Steam Deck. Um, and it, it's, it should be, it should by all measures probably be better based on how good mobile phone technology is. Um, mm. But it manages to just, they manage to ride this sort of wave of really good first party content, really engaged user base, like very fun and enjoyable um, hardware that is just, it just has so many appli- like use applications in life that it just works well. And I think part of that is, is down to the fact that they haven't rushed into embracing new technologies in some ways like they they're not like oh you always have to be online they're not one of like they're not doing that because that would destroy their user base the second you can't play a game on your on your switch because you know you're out and about and you can't connect 
or the second that they try and lean too far into like a really chonky game and it starts running like absolute trash as like first sure. party they and be uh, so i can't imagine they're going to chuckle that like you said they're going to chuckle that away i think they're going to stick with what they're good at stick with what they know yeah they'll improve and iterate but yeah i i can't see them starting to worry too much about really high high quality and really high frame rates because it's just it's just not them is it it's no just not, it's just like, not nintendo again like you you look at especially when the, if you do a post-mortem on what worked about the nintendo switch and what what worked less about the wii u and to a certain extent the gamecube um and then in the in between that uh what worked about the wii like the the success stories for nintendo have always been um making something that's different making something that works both as a primary console for certain hand households if they so desire but also is just as effective as a secondary console which i think the nintendo switch is for an awful lot of people put it this way far more people own a playstation and a switch and an xbox and a switch as opposed to a playstation and an xbox because <laughs> why you know why it's almost it's almost like why would you you know for as much yeah. as there are fantastic exclusives on all three platforms at this point um you, hedging your bets means always having a nintendo platform in your house um i'm sure they love that position um, i think that, that they're at their best when the messaging around the platform and it's sort of usp is as clear as possible um ideally the name of the console is as clear as possible again i'd be interested to see what the learnings are from the wii u era in terms of how that impacts whatever the switch 2 is ultimately called um because uh, lord knows that they don't want to name it like it's uh, something that sounds like an accessory again um and also just being affordable like uh, the other thing that has changed a lot in the switch 2's lifetime is the is the uh, the landscape around handheld gaming and we've seen you know competitors massive competitors like the steam deck enter the fray and as you said i don't think nintendo will be too worried i don't think they're gonna like i don't think they're gonna be watching spec comparisons on youtube on day one between whatever their console is and whatever the you know wherever the steam deck ends up um by that point uh, because you know for them it's about their software lineup it's about hitting a certain price point it's about being family friendly it's about you know when christmas rolls around in 2024 how many you know Nintendo Switch twos are under Christmas trees, and I think that number will be pretty high. I think their software lineup is going to uh, help carry it there. And I, I do have a question for you actually about the software lineup. Um, we talked, of course, about this souped-up version of Breath of the Wild. There are even post Tears of the Kingdom, a lot of people who I'd imagine would love to play Breath of the Wild at 4K and 60 frames a second. They've seen the people with high-end PCs and emulators do it on YouTube. Now they want to do it themselves. Um, the question is, does Nintendo actually indulge them? Do Nintendo go back and um, actually do it? If let's assume there is some amount of work to be done to get you know things running at that point, do they go back and do that work? And if so, how does it manifest? A patch, um, at like a digital re-release, a full re-release, you know, with remastered branding or something like that. Um, as we know, based on your knowledge and understanding of Nintendo. What can you see happening? Um, it's just funny. My answer to this is based on a conversation I had with Chris, and he seemed, and he was like, "It's so obvious." And I was like, "You're right. It's so obvious." And we talked about this before, and we said, "Will the Switch Two uh, be backwards compatible with the Switch One?" And and we were sort. Of, I think I came down on no, it wouldn't. I think you came down on like it would, it, it would or it should. I think at least. Um, yeah, that's and fair. yeah, I had a conversation with Chris about this, and Chris was like, "Of course, it won't be backwards compatible with Nintendo." And so, and I was like, "Yeah, of course, it won't be with Nintendo." So when I think about that, 
I'm, it's a full release. It's a full re-release. So it's a 4K 60 frames a second. This is the definitive way to play Breath of the Wild is 70 pounds. <laughs> like, you ha- yeah, you, if you want to play it, you buy it. You get a Steam, you get a Switch 2, and you, you play the full game. <laughs> that's a reason why it's not a Nintendo thing ever. Yeah. That's the reason it's hard to argue like with. Uh, I still stand by what I said about the backwards compatibility debate, but all we, if, like you having the it's Nintendo line is like an Uno reverse card in this conversation. <laughs> like there's there's not much that can be done. I, I just saw uh, in this past week. I don't know if the bundle's out yet. If the bundle's coming out soon, but I'm pretty sure a uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe bun- Switch bundle is coming out soon. And the two things that struck me about it: one. I don't think it's even the OLED model. So this is just the base Nintendo Switch getting a new bundle seven years after the fact. And it's also being packaged in with a Wii, with what people easily forget was a Wii U game. Like, the, the Switch never got its own Mario Kart. Mario Kart 8 was a Wii U game that they then put the deluxe label on. And so when you talk about Nintendo and, and remasters, and yes, I know a lot, not a lot of people bought the Nintendo Wii U, and there was a big opportunity this generation to, you know, to resurface a lot of the most you know acclaimed software from that uh from that generation on the switch because you know who played super mario 3d world the first time rounding you know uh that kind of logic but still like it's incredible to me that uh, even something as like ubiquitous and as as like like significantly as much as it is a must-have piece of software with a, a probably outrageous high attach rate the fact that a Wii U game is still being bundled with new Switch bundles um, the year before a Switch successor probably comes out is is also incredibly Nintendo. Um, it, it's, it's so, yeah. In some respects, it's almost like it's what you want, and in, it's what you want a uh, a company to do because to be like, no, we stand behind all of these games that were made. We think they're solid, and the fact that people didn't play them is a, is a mistake of like the hardware and not the software. Therefore, we're going to give you all a chance to play them because you should have played them because they were good, but maybe we didn't do the right thing. That is my best reading of like Nintendo and how they handled like the Switch U to, you know, re- relaunching games on this on the Switch. Sorry, the Wii U relaunching them on the Switch. Um, the other way to look at it is just that they've realized that people will just buy this crap again and again and again. And that why would they stop like now? Especially yeah. if they can't, if they, if they can... Yeah, like improve resolution they can use dlss or whatever they're going to use to up res um and they can get more frames out of it and and people could because if people are going to want to play those games again um if they look amazing and you know it's going to happen and so why would they not make money out of it i suppose yeah that's the other thing about nintendo games that i feel like is kind of like the the subtext of that conversation is that because they are often critically acclaimed and really revered by audiences they're all part of very memorable franchises, and they are you often exist on consoles, whether they only place that they're playable. It feels like Nintendo games and Nintendo software have a fast track to becoming like almost iconic games, like sooner. And so it almost feels like within a generation or two, you know, certain Nintendo titles become these must-play titles, these almost legacy titles that, as you say, can get re-released almost under any guise, and it's and it's totally justified. No matter how they package it, um, and the, then those are the the two Zelda games that the Nintendo Switch had, the two two you know the two primary Zelda games I should say that the uh, Nintendo Switch had, um, are absolutely destined for that future. And 
it put it this way if a switch 2 comes out and there is no backwards compatibility and there is also no nintendo game on it for a little while because one came out this year there will be people screaming from the rafters by the time a breath of wild or tears of the kingdom or better yet a double pack remaster or re-release or deluxe edition is available it will sell millions of copies um as as you know as you just attested to um yeah and we'll all buy one we'll all buy one well i i i would buy one to i would if you sold me if you told me the switch 2 was coming out tomorrow and the only piece of software on it was a remaster of breath of the wild tomorrow i'd go out and buy a switch 2 and i'd buy a remaster of breath of the wild um because we're suckers we're we're, we're part of the problem James. i don't know if we are like i i do you know what it is like the part part of me anyway was like so the, so the super nintendo was my first proper console like i'd played nintendo before and i'd played like anna amstrad and stuff like that but um the snes was the first like in-house console we had that we played like all the time had loads of games for and at this point and that, so so you're talking like the you know the 90s uh mid like mid 90s it feels at this point like this the the nintendo are the nostalgia company for the just just at the right place at the right time for such a massive generation of gamers that they can read yeah. they can put stuff out like we've been joked about this before like Joe and Matt Caveman Ninja like a new game coming out the fact that they're redoing like uh, 2D Mario games and they're just putting them out again um that they they people want it and I don't and I can't even begrudge people for it so like, the new um uh, Sonic game is, is dropping where the 2D Sonic game where they've just like re um uh they've like redone sonic games and they've put a few new characters and made it multiplayer so sega obviously on the tail edge of that because they were a little bit after um nintendo but i feel like they even them are they're even they're in like this golden period where us is in our like late 30s you know or like 30s to sort of early 40s you just kind of want that time back and nintendo are going like hey man if you want that time back we'll give it to you and we'll give it to you high res better color we'll give it to you more yeah. playable and it's, I'm, I can't even begrudge them for it. Like I can't. But no one wants the early doors 3D PlayStation games back because they were trash. Like as they looked horrible and they were feeling their way in a, in a new um, in a new environment. No one's going to go and play. Um, oh, Jesus, I kind of remember like what what mercenaries? Is it Mer mercenaries? Do you remember that? Mercenaries for PS2 game. Was it PS2? Oh, geez, okay, PS2. Yeah. I mean, it was it was later? I thought. Um, or yeah, like uh, I think I played some horrendous army army game or you know on playstation one i don't want any of that back but if you're gonna give me like a little 2d colorful nintendo thing then i'm yeah. much happier the funny thing is like i was about to blame that at least partly on visuals and the idea that some sort of like early stage polygonal graphics were not the most uh easy on the eye and they're kind of quite hard to update in, and like make sort of like a, a befitting to modern aesthetics and modern standards but at the same time nintendo have done plenty of that as well and there are plenty of nintendo 64 titles that continue to get remastered remade get sequels whatever like no one's looking at super mario 64 and going oh look at these weird like early polygonal sort of like see I, I do i know i'm weird but i kind of do with those early nintendo 64 games i'm not like mario to me is 2d like the first 3d mario game i ever played was um odyssey oh really yeah uh, so you yeah, you missed it, but then you missed out on some phenomenal games in the mid. Like, I know Sunshine has its detractors, but like, obviously, Gal if Chris were here, he'd be shouting you about Galaxy and Galaxy Two. But then that was your the weird gap, I guess, in your Nintendo history, right? Yes, yeah, I, I'd gone fully PlayStation by then. 
and then went PC and then sort of never looked back until the Switch. Yeah. Well, Nintendo are going to continue to look back because it makes them enough money, but they are also going to continue to look forward. The Nintendo Switch might be on just about its last legs, but they're going to continue releasing software for it for months, um, probably even years to come, knowing Nintendo. Um, and we're going to talk more about some of that software in just a little bit. But before we get there, Jonesy, I do just want to give a little shout out, if I may, to the people that help keep the lights on during this operation. The people that keep this runaway train off the tracks. Get it? It's a runaway. Actually, no. I, I, oh, no. It's still on the track, isn't it? A run yeah, a runaway train would still have to be on tracks. For some reason, I just visualized a runaway train being a thing that went off the tracks but kept going. But that would be impossible. That's not how trains work. <laughs> I think a runaway train is when no one's driving it, maybe. I don't know. Ah. Well, there is someone driving this train. <laughs> and it is us. But we wouldn't be able to drive the runaway train without some fine folks around the world giving us directions. And that, believe it or not, is you. Uh, some very generous, tender, tender, kind, loving people um, have seen fit to support the Super Show via Patreon. Uh, the link they went over to is patreon.com forward slash super show. And what they found when they went over there, and you would find if you went over there, is a number of different tiers in which you can donate small amounts per month. And in return, we try and give you some Patreon-exclusive content. We've recorded things in the past, like Patreon-exclusive podcasts, videos, behind-the-scenes things, all kind of... Just a, At this point, let's call it what it is. It's just a random library of shit that we have recorded and given to patrons over the years. And if that is of any interest to you, or even just Discord access, so you can come and chat to us when you're bored late night. Um, not in like a kind of a sexual way, but then, again, I guess that's what stretch goals are for. Uh, then the link for you is patreon.com forward slash super show. Uh, there are some wonderful folk who have already seen fit to head over there and support us. Some of their names are on screen right now. So a huge thank you so much to all of them. But I also would like to give a personal thank you to Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Brimstone, Cole K, Iceland Rock Salt, Jesper Cam, Dal Nielsen, Leo Merger, Mindful Pig, Mr. Anthropic, Pastors Guild, Bretzy, aka Shellshock. Um, I, I should clarify, <laughs> I did the thing where I didn't make the distinction when I moved over to the big dogs, the members of the board, which include Brett Z, aka Shellshock, Geometric Potter, Hagsaw Bookread, Manuel Guerrero, and of course, Peaswad. Thank you all ever so much for your patronage, for helping us continue to make this remarkably boring, ill-informed, unfunny podcast that we like to call the Super Show. It's pretty super. Is that all you had to offer on that one? That no. Was, uh, and do you know who else is super? All of our amazing patrons who support us every week. Thank you so there much. There we go. See, that, this, is, this is what he was told to say prior to recording. This is the kind of the energy I try and stun him. It doesn't always manifest itself when we hit the red button, but here we are. Uh, Jonesy, I think I know what's wrong. I yeah. think I've diagnosed the problem. What's wrong? I'm sitting here trying to coax, you know, factoids and hot takes out of you, you know, on Nintendo, on the Switch, on future hardware, when really all you want to talk about is Starfield. So I'm not going to stand in your way anymore. Tell the folks at home what they've been waiting to hear for the past three weeks. I, I feel bad because we said we wouldn't talk too much about Starfield um, last week. We said we would sort of play, we were blatantly going to play it, you know, because it's on Game Pass, and then we would talk about it a bit. 
But yes, we do have to talk about Starfield. Um, there is a decent amount to talk about. Uh, we, we will try and keep it, you know, as short as we can, I guess. Um, we're still relaying some information. So I've been um, I've been in playing some Starfield this week. I think I, I'm a little bit further along than I thought I was. I'm about 20 hours in at this point uh, to start. Nice. Um, so you finished the story then and you're starting a new game plus. You're two hours into a new game plus because that's where the real game starts. I I think I'm not that far from finishing the main story. Yeah, uh, I was joking, but there we go. So uh, we talked about it last week. I was um, we'd heard like don't do too much stuff in the side areas of the game. Uh, you know, finish the main quest, and then with the new game plus, it kind of opens up. I think I know why people have said that. Um, I'm not going to give anything away. I don't want to give away any spoilers. But there is there is a point at which I have reached where something happens. Um, and I was I was not expecting, and I've not heard about in the game, or you know, anyone talking about, which I'm guessing is the thing that was why people have said this. If I'm right, and I am toward the end of the main story, I, I actually I don't think describing it as a main story and then getting into New Game Plus is an accurate description. Um, it the way that the game is structured is much more, and I and I I saw someone tweeting about this earlier, and I was like, they've, they've absolutely nailed it, like. The way that, say, like Fallout 3 or um, uh, Skyrim kind of had you play, that that way of going out into the world, wandering, and then bumping into like a village and then getting quests and then it's all like happening in front of you. Starfield isn't as much of that kind of a game. It is much more driven by uh, narratives and who you meet and people telling you to go places. Like it's not a No Man's Sky. You're not supposed to just fly from planet to planet. Uh, farming resources scanning stuff um finding amazing new things like it's not it's much more it's much more linear in an open world sort of open star field um kind of way that having been said i have had a bit of a divergence from the main story i joined the uh uc vanguard um like quite early on and i'm really glad i did because i then kind of had these two threads running concurrently which was the main story um which is you know the first thing you get to in the game is if anyone saw you sort of touch this uh piece of um uh, alien tech is i guess what it's what it's supposed to be and you have this weird experience and then you get roped into this group called constellation uh who want you to help them find other pieces of whatever this thing is um because when you bring the pieces together they sort of react and you you're set out on this quest to find these pieces um have it but i was on that quest but having joined the vanguard they actually go together quite well because i've been sort of doing this sort of um there's a bit of political intrigue. There's some uh, alien horror sort of stuff thrown in there, which I've really been enjoying. Um, you meet like a whole bunch of new people. You get some cool other, uh, you know, quests that that go along with that. Um, and I've really been enjoying the main kind of uh, A to B to C progression through some of these narratives. The what the one I have also at this point, I've joined the Free Star Collective as a ranger but the only reason i've done that is because i thought it would help me in a mission for the main uh the main quest um but actually i don't think i needed to do it at all i think it was kind of an irrelevant thing and i've put that on back burner i've not actually touched that um so yeah so the main sort of um uh, i've joined two of the main um factions in the game and you can join some multiple ones it doesn't like kick you out of one when you join the other i think there's even a dialogue option where you can speak to someone in the in the vanguard and you can say like does this stop me from joining other places? And they're like, nah, do what you want. So they were like, yeah, no, we don't care, mate. Do what you want. So I was like, oh, nice. Uh, that's pretty decent. Um, 
so so yeah the narrative thread and the the characters and the the giving of like quests and the way that some of these quests have, un have unraveled i've actually really been enjoying and have made me want to keep playing and find out what the next thing is that's going to happen is less so with the main quest and more so with the vanguard uh side quest that i've been doing okay um, but but to be clear the, the the thing that kind of the the that uh, allowed you to sort of create the theory that you have that may or may not influence kind of how intrigued you are about you know the end game or a potential new game plus yeah that stuff is all still rooted in the the main story quest yes the vanguard is the quest line is just something that you're essentially doing in like almost parallel with it by choice exactly that is allowing you to kind of like get a, a broader range of experiences from the game exactly as you progress through it. Okay. What, I, what i didn't want to do was smash through the main campaign in like 18 hours or some people have you know done it really quickly if they really want to i didn't yeah. want to smash through that and then get to the end the end of the game get to new game plus and then kind of be like do you know what i'm a bit starfielded out i think i'm gonna just give it a little bit of a break and then in a year's time be like oh hey i never went back to starfield i thought i wouldn't be giving it a fair shake if i completely ignored all of the side stuff so so I'm marrying these two things and, and kind of doing a couple of missions for the Vanguard, a couple of missions with Constellation has worked really well for me um, and not running out there. And because some people have said they've just gone out into the world and they've just forged their own path and they've barely touched the main story. I'm like, I, I can see why people say don't do that. You know, the main story is there to, I think, introduce you to the world, um, open the doors and kind of give you a bit of an experience. And it does... Uh, it's, I, I'm not. I'm not going to say it's like a 20-hour tutorial, but it's not because it's not. But in some sense, like you, they do introduce you to like nearly every mechanic in the game through it. You you'll have missions where you have to persuade people, and then missions where you have to like be stealthy and go and do something. And so it kind of makes sense that they're introducing all of this stuff that then could serve you later on. Yeah. That that having been said, like so, I have had a great time with this game. I've really enjoyed it. I've, I played for eight hours on the trot um, a couple of on Saturday. Um, nice and was shocked i was like oh my goodness i can't believe i played this all day and i did find myself uh that thing of when you say like right i'm done now i'm done i turned it off and then an hour later i was sat back down on my keyboard again playing some more um right yeah of course yeah because i was like i, ju I just want to i just want to do this i just want to do that like i did a mission where i ended up getting a really cool ship um okay and so i was like oh i just want to i just want to tweak I just want to see what I can do to that. I just want to power it up a little bit. I just want to, and then once you've done that, it's like, okay, well, I just want to go get in a fight. And then I hadn't, I hadn't like docked with a pirate and gone on board their ship and beaten the crap out of them and stolen their ship yet. So I was like, let me just do that. Let me just try. Let me just, let me just. And it's, and then with the missions, like the story is good enough in those side quests and the main mission to a lesser degree, maybe is enough to keep you wanting to keep going. Yeah. To see like, oh, what am I going to discover next? Um, okay, all of that said, all of that said, okay, yeah, the technical side of uh, Starfield is less enjoyable. Like some okay. some of the yeah, Bethesda bugs, so some of the Bethesda bugs are a little bit annoying. So just little things, yeah. not major things, just little things like um, in cutscenes or, or not even cutscenes, like in, in dialogue with people someone else will just start having another conversation with you sometimes and it's they're talking over each other and you're like okay this is weird um yeah you can see inside someone's head or like i've had that a few times and you can't really see what's going on i've had other bugs where you have to just cancel the game and just reload which is pretty typical right after oh, really it's okay. 
I haven't had one of those yet. I've had a lot of the kind of the minor sort of like almost visual bugs more than anything else. Um, but yeah, I do, I, do, I do think that it's funny though to just interject that it. I think Bethesda had genuinely, in terms of cleaning up the state of their games day one, have come a long way from the kind of bugs that have plagued some of their previous releases, especially on consoles. And I do sometimes like have this thing where like I'll go on Reddit and. To be fair, it will be on something like r slash gaming, which is where, like, informed or educated video game opinions and voices go to die. Like, it's an <laughs> absolute fucking hellhole of a subreddit that's just purely fueled by, like, memes and people who are angry about microtransactions. And the the post will be like, lol, bug, Thesda, and it will just be, like, a picture of a person who's facing backwards in conversation. And I do sit there and go, like, if that's really, like, how we're dunking on Bethesda, like two weeks into the release of this game is because an NPC was facing backwards or a gun clipped through a wall and started vibrating. And whereas, you know, th at this point, like in various release periods in the past, we've been talking about save corruptions or, or fucking, or quest lines that are, like can't be complete and stuff like that. I was like, we don't know how good we've got it if this is what we're complaining about. Um, I know, I, I agree with you. I even, so one of the, one of the, um, uh, times i had to i had to quit look but you know completely the game completely froze up which was it didn't freeze but it didn't go anywhere was um a guy tells you he's like okay raise your right hand so you can do this oath and he just and nothing happened and so he just stood there looking at me and i just pushed every button and it's like it, nothing happened so but then yeah I just, I just had to quit and restart and it was fine like it was it wasn't an issue um some of the stuff which i found more frustrating is like the menus and the way that you're using inventories is trash like I get it, you you kind of you have yep, to. I agree. You have to because it's big and there's loads of systems, but it it's not good. Like even down to um, I saw that there's a mod actually after we were discussing like mods you can get for like DLSS on Nvidia. There's a mod that you can actually use to improve the uh, inventory systems because there's yeah. you some of it just doesn't make any sense. Like it, you know organizing stuff in your inventories is a pain the way that everything just gets like dumped into one thing and you can't sort anything and you can it just you end up spending a lot of like time doing inventory management which isn't fun um yeah i end up just giving loads of stuff to my companion and then which i never get back because then i change companions and then i'm like <laughs> oh i should probably go and see if they've still got those 15 guns and five spacesuits and yeah even down to like picking up a spacesuit from a from a dead ecliptic you can't even it doesn't even tell you if it's good or not like you just see a name it doesn't even give you stats and and because it's a bethesda game you loot everything so like you do that very first like conflict encounter in the game and then like you walk away from it and you check your inventory five minutes later and you're like oh i've got seven maelstroms um, yes <laughs> i didn't even notice so I didn't, the way that they've done that, how you know you've got more than one, is it's just a small number. It's just a, yeah, and it looks like it could be a number that refers to something else, but it's... I thought that's exactly what it was. So I didn't, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm over-encumbered. How's this happened? And I realized I was holding, like, yeah, seven Maelstroms and, like, five yeah. Soul Stars. And I was like, I'm hold, I've got... Yeah. And I just, I wanted to then see my dude, IRL, like, loaded up with all these guns and these spacesuits. He just looked like a pack mule from, like, a sci-fi film. Just walking around yeah. with like ridiculous amount of stuff. Um, then, then you've got things like the ship system, like inventory in the ship is is annoying and doesn't doesn't operate very well. Um, it's and again, is you just find it through another menu. You can walk up to a wall panel and interact with it, but the easiest way is you go into your sh your, uh, your 
inventory menu while you're on your ship or nearby it. Yeah. Have I think it can be within 500 meters, I read. Right, okay. Yeah, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Which is which that's good. That's useful. But it doesn't look any different to like your inventory. So sometimes you're like, oh, which inventory am I in? I'm in that one. Okay. And then yeah, I accidentally exactly, swap yeah. something to my ship and then I have to go into my ship to get it back. And I'm like, I swapped the wrong... I don't know. It's just, I'm, yeah, I won't go on. It's just a bit of a pain. Um, then, I w- so I've also had, and I was racking my brains as if this was, as if I was just getting mistaken. I'm pretty sure in the first 10 hours, I had the same cave system spawned on two different locations that were basically identical, um, which is not great. And I, it's nice, plausible. I would have really hoped that that wouldn't have happened. And I've not been in that many caves. I've maybe been in like, 10 to 15 at that point so to have like a duplicate one just seemed like not there's not enough variation i had the same thing with the space station where when i went on one space station there was the uh spacers and the i think the um, pirates having a gunfight um across this lobby and i walked into this space station and it was like exactly it looked exactly the same and i was like well i swear that i've been here before walked through a door and there's exactly the same gunfight going on between spacers and pirates i just turned around and left i was like I've done this before, like, I, I, and it's a different place. Like, I'm just going to get back on my ship. You, when you get, but when you get to grips with it, so like 20 hours in, customizing your ship, I was horrible at first. I hated it. I was like, I don't get it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how this works, and I just ignored it. Now I do know how it works, and now okay, that I get it now. It works quite well. It's it's fine, and I've had a bit of a play around with it. Credit stuff like you know to buy a ship is like 150,000 credits you sell a ship and you get about 5,000 and you're like oh that's how they're dealing that's how they're stopping you from farming pirate ships and just making loads of money is they're just gonna true, true. slice the cost in half um, oh and, and then they charge you to register them as well before you can sell them so you can't even get the full amount you end up getting like a thousand credits which is oh don't even get me started um, base economy eh Tough times. I mean, well, I'm just, I'm just like going off on one now and stuff on it. But no, do you know what? On the whole, really enjoying it. Really like it. Think it is it, so much better than uh, for me than Fallout Four was. I did not get on oh, Fallout Four. I wasn't that happy with it. Um, I no, no, I was fine with it. I just got a bit bored with it quite quickly. I've really been enjoying this. But and I've seen someone mention it, which is why I'm gonna. I will say quickly. And this is not a diss. This is this is a this is a, a comment. Um, this is not an insult to either game. Starfield, to me, is what you have to do to Star Citizen to actually make it a game. Oh, okay. If yeah, I thought you were going to go in like a really like disrespectful direction there, but that's a totally fine thing to say. So like the loading screens, the, the it is, sometimes I did laugh to myself and be like, this game sometimes feels like loading screen the game, especially if you're going like fast travel to your ship, fast travel to a place, then you go into a building and it has a loading screen, and I'm like. Okay, there's quite a few loading screens. But the how badly Star Citizen can run sometimes and how badly it can bug out. It's almost like if you said to if you if you'd got a different person to go in and, you know, uh to start and say, right, we're gonna fix Star Citizen, I can imagine that Starfield is the game you end up with. Where you you simplify the systems, you don't allow people to do certain things, you simplify certain aspects, um, you take away things entirely. Like the fact that you can't just get out of your ship in space like you can in Star Citizen. Yeah. Although there is a mod for that now. Like there's footage out there of someone like jetpacking around like in Zero G next to their spaceship. And it's weird because the game gets confused 
and you can start building bases on asteroids because it thinks they're like ground. Oh, okay, okay. But it's, it's... like pe- people are doing weird stuff with mods because, like we talked about last week, you know how we talked about like the invisible barriers aren't are like are the, 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 they are barriers. They are like yeah. terrain limits, but the world is that is actually persistent. It's almost like they can only load so much into memory at any one point. So, like, what people are doing is they're taking, they they're modding a lot of things that I think remove some of the limits that were placed on the game, probably for the sake of like memory bandwidth and whatnot, and so on and so forth. And what they're finding is that, like, actually, yeah, if you want to keep running in one direction for eight hours, you can, and like, you can run all the game will crash before you make all the make it all the way around a planet, but you can, you can do that, and and you can get out of your ship in zero g and like 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 almost like you know gravity the movie style like jetpack like you know around the you know that stuff all functions because the mechanics are implemented in the game it's just they as you said when you were comparing starfield star citizen at the end of the day they had to release a product that worked and products that work have limitations on them that's how you you know create little pens little areas for players to get like jump in and play with all their toys and if they don't leave the pen they don't see shit they're not supposed to see and less shit breaks and everyone's happy so like i have never so one thing that's ha- that's happened to me in staff and i haven't played star citizen sorry for a, a for a year or so now so i apologize if it doesn't do this anymore i'm sure some people out there will complain um but i have never in starfield um ever used my grav drive and then found myself floating in deep space because i glitched out of my own ship and then been found it impossible to find my ship again which has happened to me in star citizen but and the fact yeah. that in Starfield, you it's like a cutscene. You jump and you're at the planet. Is like a not it is an answer to that question of how do you, how do you have this experience, and it be robust like as we're saying robust enough, especially from a Bethesda game that it doesn't glitch out, it doesn't break all the time, it doesn't like so I've 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 listed some of the bugs I've had, but I've been playing for twenty hours and actually I've only had a game like a game stopping bug that I had to quit the whole game. I think I've had twice. Um, and the other bugs I've had have been very minimal and they've, um, even when they've happened, like there, you can overlook them. Like it is someone like not looking at you or like I said, I had a funny one yesterday, which was, uh, I had one of the, um, the, the, I can't remember what they call them. One of the, the things you can pick at the beginning of the game for your character. I picked the one where your mum and dad have a, have a flat in the uh, land, new Atlantis. Oh, what, and you owe money. You have like a... I give them 5% of my money like every month or something. 2%, I think. But I just like the idea that I can just go and see them. I thought that was quite fun. And I have done. Yeah. I've got to see them. They came to see me at the Constellation Lodge. And um, and I, and they're standing there in the lodge. And that's and it's part of the thing. They're like, oh, we came to see you because we miss you. And then Noel, one of the, ca- the uh, lodge car- uh, the Constellation members... She's standing there saying to me, your mum and dad came by to see you. Your mum left you a note. And then my mum is talking at me going, hello, darling, we've missed you. How are you been? And then Noel went, your dad came to see you. He left you a note. And then the dad starts going, oh, we missed you, boy. We thought we'd come and pay a visit to Constellation. And it was quite funny. It was it was nothing, you know, it didn't make me get mad and like rage yeah. quit. It was just like a fun. No, exactly. That sounds like, um, sounds like Bethesda. Yeah. But that, anyway, yeah, that's 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 me. That's what I'm going to say for now. Nice. Um, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Um, I think I had a feeling, based on kind of the way that your anticipation was building, and especially kind of where we were at during the summer when we finally got that big look at sort of 
everything they had planned in that Starfield Direct, I had a positive feeling that this game was going to click with you. But I'm encouraged to hear that not only it has, but also the ways in which it has. Um, I've oh, played. Can I give you one Sorry. more one more shout out to Starfield? The the in the way that the Outer Worlds, Outer Wilds, I was getting it wrong. The Outer Wilds, Wilds, Worlds. Wild. Wait, which is the Obsidian? Which is the Obsidian game? That was Worlds. Worlds. Actually, but then, I so I corrected you for Worlds, but then I was like, oh, what if he is talking about Worlds? Because what if you were going to talk about like actual plat, like you know how Outer Wilds has like planets in orbit, and you have to like land on planets in orbit and like match your speed and trajectory. Right, right. Like, so I was like, actually, know. there is a there is a chance he's talking about Wilds. I, I sure I'll do both of them at the same time. The way in the way in Outer Worlds, how you were limited, but it felt like I was on the cusp of having a game that I really wanted. We had the freedom to go on your spaceship and go wherever you want. Starfield ticks all those boxes, and in the in the right way. And I'm super happy with what they've done. I think they've nailed it in in so many ways. And the ways they've got it wrong, don't bother me that much. Um, but then slightly to the other way. I am frustrated with some of the like the physics systems. So, for example, in your spaceship, in when you're at a planet, um, if you engage your engines to full and then you get out of your cockpit, the your ship stops. But and I I would I quite like the idea that your ship can you can just set it to a run and then you can wander because so for example, Star Citizen, you absolutely could do that. You could turn your ship on, go one way, yeah. and then it's going to keep going because sure. it's got its inertia. It's going to carry on taking. Whereas Starfield is not that; it is a more arcadey version of that. And then the one of the criticisms I'll give is I went to moon, the moon, the lunar surface, so our moon, because I was like, oh, let me go to Sol, let me go to the lunar surface, and I'm going to land and see Earth, you know, and like see an Earth rise. That would be amazing. Uh, and I landed on the facing side of the moon to Earth. Earth wasn't there. Oh, that's was, a shame. I was like, oh, where the hell's Earth? And I did the same thing. Um, I think I did the same. I tried to like. like uh, do the same thing with the sun and then the sun is it just you can't it's not like it doesn't look like an actual physical body that's in the game it just looks like a skybox which it probably is which is fine yeah i was more annoyed at the fact that the earth wasn't there um because i thought that would have been a cool thing to sell that, that would have been nice and like i guess again that's sort of like an, an another step in the slightly more like slightly the slightly more like like I don't even know how to word it, but like yeah, the, you get away from skyboxing to get into more like physically accurate representations of where planets are in orbit around one another, and like how far into outer space can you? That becomes complicated. Um, in in a way, does, that it, it felt like they were trying to kind of rein in to make the game more actually like I don't know more of what it ended up being. So I, I, I feel like that you do it. I feel like you do it with Earth and the Moon just as a little special thing. Maybe like, you know, that's from what I, from what I've heard, they have done a couple of special things with with Earth in particular that I won't go into for spoiler reasons. But I've heard some interesting tidbits. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, I, I I kind of get what you mean, but there's I don't know, like that's a specific. I'm I, I'm picking a specific thing that they just probably didn't think. Yeah. Of. Anyway, I've I've yeah. monopolized this conversation, Jamie. How have you been finding? Well, something? no, you're right to monopolize it because you've got far more to offer than me because I've I've played a, a tiny fraction of the amount of this game that you have, largely because I've like time constraints, but also just from a technical perspective, I've really kind of struggled to get my performance to a place that I've been happy with. Um, the game obviously like runs on my PC, but I kind of, you know, it's one of those things where if you 
if you didn't have a choice in the matter, like if it looked a certain way or ran a certain way and that was it and it was black and white, then you deal with it and you adjust to it. But when you know you can be tweaking things and you don't know every time you tweak, like you maybe downgrade the visuals somewhat to improve performance, you're bothered about how bad the game looks. Every time you go the other way, you're bothered about how bad the game runs. And I tried a bunch of things and I, then I thought I found a middle ground and I played for a couple of hours. But the problem I was having was consistency. Um, I'm not a frame rate snob. You know, I'm the guy who played that Red Dead Redemption re-release a couple of weeks ago. Uh, at a lot, I played a, like a, a 13-year-old game at a lot 30 frames per second on next-gen hardware. I'm not fussy, but where it does become problematic is like lurching, and when like you you're you're in a you're in an indoor area at like 50 frames a second and an outdoor area at 30. Like we all know what it's like to go in the options menu and flick between the two, and if you play at 60 for like two minutes and then go to 30, you're like. This is gross. This is slow motion. And when that's happening on the fly in real time, that was really bothersome for me. Um, so I've held off a little bit until I've um, I've got some PC hardware solutions kind of um, uh, that are a work in progress that will allow me to, uh, you know, that will release me from some of those concerns to a certain extent. But um, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to kind of getting back in and seeing more of what this game has to offer. I have nothing to say really about the kind of the narrative side of things or kind of you know the how the first part of your kind of wrap up how you focus on almost like your journey through starfield i don't have anything to offer on that front yet because i feel like i haven't even begun my journey through starfield it's mostly just technical elements like i've been interested to see how how combat felt um you know and how like whether the first person shooting mechanics had improved significantly since fallout 4 for example to which i, I feel like they have it still doesn't feel as solid as an outright first person shooter but it never never will and arguably never like just shouldn't have to like that's not the game's ambition not by a long shot but it feels sufficiently impactful especially when you do deal with slightly more powerful weaponry um if like the basically the more bullet spongy enemies feel or the worse the combat feels but that's just i think just a side effect of combat in general that would be true for any game yeah um like space I almost called it space a space exploration, as as you kind of touched on. It's not space exploration. There is no, there is nothing to explore in space. Space is a, you know, a zero g like area that you occupy if you either want to engage in a dogfight, engage in a conversation with another ship, or board another ship. Nothing else happens in space, really. Everything else is menu driven. But I still feel like being in space feels good, and like a lot of the sound design stuff. You know that classic thing of ignoring the fact that like what you can and can't hear in space. I don't care about those semantics. But yeah, the thing about like the creaking of what must be this massive, like incredibly heavy spaceship, like moving in space, like that that classic sci-fi creaking is there in full effect. Sounds great. I thought the dogfighting mechanics felt solid. Um, the way you kind of have to switch up your energy supply, sort of in real time, makes for an interesting kind of balance between: Are you going to get the fuck out of there? Do you want to be more maneuverable? Do you want to have more firepower and so on and so forth? I haven't seen how that changes across ships and so on and so forth and across upgrades but it's an interesting one um uh, i'm encouraged by it i I still love looting everything there is still something funny about mashing a or x or whatever it is on every single thing you come across and then checking your um like like looting like a legendary weapon and going to check your inventory and finding it next to the sparkling water that you picked up at the same time like there's something uniquely bethesda about that that still has a a real charm for me, um, dating all the way back to, you know, for me, Oblivion. Um, so, yeah. And it was also interesting to see how some of the 
fast travel-y, shortcut-y kind of elements manifest themselves, especially how they were tutorialized. There was one bit that I did think was really interesting, which is that um, very, very early on in the game, essentially one of the first quests you do once you're kind of let on the loose is it tutorializes how to like travel to a certain planet and how to land an outpost there and then you engage with the group at that outpost and that engagement can go a number of different ways based on how you approach it. Turns out I didn't even bother trying to talk to them. I just started shooting people. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, th that when that uh, encounter comes to an end, uh, there is a, a mini-boss character of sorts, I guess. And when you kill them, um, or, or I guess deal with them, however you see fit, even, you know, maybe in social terms, the, the, that portion of the quest ends and you get the next um, piece of the quest, which is a tutorial about how to fast travel back to your ship, which you can do just by pulling up the game's scanner. And the scanner seems to be, you know, it's not just for like scanning flora and fauna um, in a way that's kind of similar to No Man's Sky, but also seems to be as like um, almost like a compass standard at times, would that be fair to say? Um, yeah, yeah, it shows you your uh, objective markers and things and gives you extra info and stuff as well. Yeah. And it has so you, yeah, on the ground, it gives you the, the rude as well, I think. Right, that makes sense. So you pull out the scanner, it says to look at your ship. You look at your ship, you can fast travel back to your ship. And immediately after that, the game tutorializes how to jump between systems, I think it was. And it just says, oh, click here and press. And so it's one, you know, one of those things where the game's tutorializing something, it's teaching you a mechanic, but also in very big buttons, it just says press X or press A. You yeah. always think about what you're doing. And it was one of those things where it was like, oh, in, in about 30 seconds, I went from being in combat to jumping to another system for the first time in my to, in my hands on time of this game. I don't really know what I did. I just, I was just- right. the, you just push like, buttons I, and it told you to. Yeah, I just, I just kind of pushed buttons. And one button meant that I like, one button faded to black and put me in my spaceship. Another button faded to black and put me in space. And another button faded to black and put me in a different solar, like a like different star system. And another button faded me to black and put me on a planet. And another button faded me to black and took me out of my spaceship. And it's like that the the piecemeal nature of it is something that we discussed and broke down last week. And it's it's clearly quite important to the way things work. And I and and it is again, it is all dynamic. Like I've seen stuff. Have you seen the videos where people are like? dropping 10,000 sandwiches on top of their spaceship and then taking off. Yes. And like, even though the spaceship taking off is a cutscene, it's a real-time cutscene. Those 10,000 sandwiches are still on top of that spaceship and they all fall off and the frame rate goes to down to 2 FPS because <laughs> physics. Um, and so it is interesting to me, kind of like what I said about the outside of the ship um, space exploration mod, that like all these systems are interconnected and so many of them do work in exactly the way your brain wants them to work, but they've been broken up to clearly make this game much more like, like much less haphazard. I don't know, like, like uh, uh, to. You've got to, to imagine, like, yeah. You've got to imagine that, like, for example, the the going from planet to to orbit. If that was one continuous thing, there's a lot more space for the game to break. Whereas if they put a loading yeah, screen exactly. in between those two things, you're re you're reloading the instance. Exactly what you said before. It's a playpen. You're reloading an instance of that game. You're giving the game a, a, an ability to sort of like refresh, go check everything's all right, check everything's not broken. And it's like, yeah, let's crack on. Um, and then yeah. you're like, the first few times it might have been nice to take off and fly through the atmosphere. But then after that, you, if you had the ability yeah, to see yeah, exactly. it, you would anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
I, I so I have no like no. It was interesting to see how it worked with my own eyes, but I have no qualms with it whatsoever. And I think more, more importantly, it's all in service of fundamentally making sure that Starfield can still, you know, appease the desires of traditional Bethesda, you know, open world RPG fans. Um, in so much as like having a like, like having engaging story quests and like let's be honest the main story quest has never been the most engaging story quest in any like of, of the bethesda rpg like there have always been side quests you know, like side quest uh sort of like runs that have stolen the show all the way back to the dark brotherhood or whatever the fuck you want to you know you know pick out from the past so um i i yeah i'm really i'm really looking forward to kind of getting stuck in a little bit more i don't think i'll have a huge amount more to say about it um personally because i i think they said i i think they, they said a lot about it themselves i think you could go back to june or whatever it was and watch that um starfield director be like oh yeah they really did like show us everything this game was doing at, at in that one hour or whatever it was they didn't try and really hide anything or obscure anything and they kind of delivered the product that was advertised more or less and um if you think you're going to click with it then you probably will um i don't i don't, I don't know i think some people are really reaching for ways to kind of like slag off this game and i i get it um but like even when i use i see some articles where it's like they're trying to compare starfield to Baldur's gate 3 it's like i think you're just talking about different games at the end of the day i don't think you need to like draw a line uh, you know draw a circle around them both and say they're both rpgs so let's look at the way that Baldur's gate pushes things forward and starfield brings things back I don't care if they're both RPGs on paper. Like, if you, like, if you want to get pedantic, any game with, you know, hit points and XP and an inventory and stuff like that can call itself an RPG nowadays, which therefore, you know, by extension, ends up including 90% of the video games released on planet Earth. Like, I just, I think they made the game they set out to make, and I think that's why it's, you know, uh, reaching the people that it, it's reaching. I think, I think without it, well, I think we said at the time as well that people would just, People would complain that um, Starfield's not as good an RPG as Baldur's Gate, but then it, the, the, of course the other side of that is, well, is Baldur's Gate a good a action game as Starfield is? And like, I haven't played it, but I'm going to guess no. Like, you know, well, you don't like turn-based combat as much as real-time combat, so it's never going to for you. It's never going to satisfy that. Great. No, exactly. And I think I think that's part of the problem that Starfield has had. Maybe is is people that were expecting a more like a space sim, more akin to Star Citizen. Uh, then you got people that were thinking it was going to be a more like a fully all-encompassed RPG, which again is it's it doesn't have the chops when it comes to like the systems for that. I don't think it's it, but it does it does everything. I'm lucky. I think I'm very lucky that it hits the sweet spot for me in a lot of areas um, quite well. And so, but I could see why I can see why some people get frustrated with it. It's one of those games that I can also see with a bunch of mods or with people changing stuff or with a little bit of help over time. It's just going to get better and better. And I know that doesn't say, you know, games shouldn't improve. Like, they, they should come out perfect. But it's come out really good. And I think as, as some of that stuff gets patched and improved, I think it's just going to yep. make the experience better. Um, totally. Not, not like, uh, not talking um, cyberpunk levels of, well, this game's going to be amazing in, a, in three years when they completely fix the game. It's more like, this game's already really good. Um, but imagine if, just some of those systems were a bit slicker. Agreed. And like, like you talk about DLC, Bethesda going back to like 
Fallout 3 and 4 and and Oblivion and Skyrim have a long history of making, in some cases, multiple sort of like DLC expansions or DLC packs that expand on like different portions of the game. Like, again, I never engaged with the Fallout 4 DLC because I didn't like the base game enough, but whether you wanted kind of story expansions that open up new side quests or expansions that completely overhauled and added to the base building system in that game, like Bethesda took all that stuff in a bunch of you know, very interesting directions. And if they apply the same logic to Starfield, while at the same time the modding community continues to kind of grow in, and it's the modding community is already doing some amazing things, um, then yeah, it could be um, something that people keep coming back to for a long time, which is what Bethesda games have always been about. Um, you know, Todd Howard you know goes on whatever web, whatever website or whatever channel it was for an interview this past week, and whilst yes, there were some obnoxious questions, the kind that you'd imagine from mainstream television that are trying to keep up and understand what's going on it, the skyrim still comes up in conversation you know 12 years on i'm not suggesting that starfield is going to be a topic of conversation in 2035 necessarily <laughs> but stranger things have happened um anyway jonesy uh, any, any any last thoughts on on starfield i uh, uh, share with the world no no i think i'm good um, yeah. i will mention one other thing that i've done this week but i'll be really quick Okay. So a surprise for me because I didn't think I'd be into it, but I have started and finished the first season of One Piece on Netflix. Oh, the live action one. Or... Yes, the net, the live action one. I think it was eight episodes, maybe six. I can't okay. remember. Um, yeah, no. For, for, for someone who's never watched One Piece before, I thought it was uh, it was a real fun anime adaptation. Like you can tell where the anime stuff is kept in, and like the the mm. the saturation, the ludicrousness, the you know the insane fights where everyone seems to be like op all the time and just stuff is big and and over the top and yeah no it was it's funny it's one of those where i was watching with my wife and i said oh what did you like what do you reckon like after a couple of episodes i was like what do you reckon do you think it's good and she was like no it's trash but i want to keep watching it because it's really enjoyable <laughs> and i was like yeah that's <laughs> totally yeah. Valid. that's 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 totally valid and that that, that has its own you know the, yeah the, the, that's yeah all the just a totally justifiable reason to continue watching something so are you, are you kind of like in in now if like they go into season two and beyond because yeah but we i think as we as you and i both learned together last week there are uh over 1000 episodes of the anime so there's and a lot it, of material an insane amount yeah no definitely like today uh we we you know before um before this i think um we, we sort of said oh should we watch a one piece you know quickly and we're like oh we finished it we've got no more to watch but it's, I think it's just um, it's something a bit different as well, like you know, to kind of go that anime in like live action, and it's just over the top, but in a yeah. good, in a good fun, like enjoyable, and they they do a good thing, but they do a thing as well. Each episode seems to have its own little arc, and then you have like the bigger arc over the whole thing, which I do like. Nice. I do like that sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting one, and I definitely I have to say, even the idea of it not being like I know it was actually quite well received by both fans and critics, but even the idea of it not being panned was like of note to me because whether you're talking about TV shows or whether you're talking about movies, the recent or the modern history of live action anime adaptations from like Cowboy Bebop and Death Note, and then going all the way back to like Dragon Ball Evolution and stuff like that. Like there are some absolute disaster classes in how not to adapt anime, even like average stuff like. Um, the Scarlett Johansson Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool, but also just watch Ghost in the Shell. Um, yes, like, yeah. At the end of the day, um, um, so it's 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 encouraging to see that this is kind of striking a chord with 
new audiences such as yourself, but also that like hardcore One Piece fans aren't being a dick about this thing and are actually kind of like somewhat embracing it. Um, seems like sounds like it sounds like it's doing pretty well. And while Netflix are a bit of a unpredictable lot, sounds like a second season seems well as close to a sure thing as you can get with um with that's one the, of the big red ends of entertainment. That's the only thing that sort of worries me about Netflix, man, is that is they're so liable to just go. Uh, didn't no, nah, you know what? We're not, we're not actually going to do it. You've had two seasons. We're done. And I will, I will just mention Joel in chat said, um, "It's so bad, it's good." And I said, eh, "No, it isn't that. It's not this so bad, it's good. It's it's fun and kind of trashy in in a because it's anime is kind of trashy, right? So like, there's one dude who only ever Sanji who only ever kicks. He doesn't punch. He like fights with his hands in his pockets and just like throws kicks, which is kind of silly and trashy. It's a bit anime. But and, I don't know if I uh, yeah. Trashy, for not trashy. Word for that. Not trashy. But but I mean, almost like sounds funny, quirky, Qu- quirky. Maybe that's better than. But I'm, I'm in trash in the sense of you wouldn't watch it and go, yeah, this is a real piece of like this isn't our house entertainment. Oh, well, sure, sure. But no, yeah, trashy is the wrong word. But um, yeah. you can obviously obviously straight like things are straight out of the anime and they totally work. Um, yeah. But I completely butchered your segue. I apologize. Oh no, no, that, that so that me. Talking about the the fact that it was the other big red end in entertainment wasn't actually the segue. Was, was it not something I I found something I just felt inspired to say in the moment? Just oh, I like it. Just the, just the way my brain works at this stage, um, right? But yeah, um, I I I, I, I there is something about One Piece that when I watch the trailers, I'm like, huh, because if you mentioned like it's not art house, but we don't always have the time or the capacity, whether it's emotionally or like. It just in terms, our brains can't always be like ready to absorb like high end or or avant garde art housey stuff all the time. Like sometimes you do just need to watch trash. That isn't trash because it's bad. It's trash because it's like it. In the same way, like I would call McDonald's trash. I eat McDonald's. If you ask me why I eat McDonald's, it's because McDonald's is good. And yes. it's like you just call it trash. I'm like yes, but that's not a contradiction. It's also very good. That is exactly. That is exactly McDonald's right. McDonald's is del- McDonald's is delicious. It's, it's tasty. It's delicious. It's yeah. but it is what it's supposed to be, right? It doesn't. It doesn't. It costs what it's supposed to cost because it's. But it's kind of trash when you put it into a wider context. But no, yeah, absolutely. One Piece is, is yeah. McDonald's. It's good. It's enjoyable. It's fun. But would you take your friends there for like a really posh fancy meal? No, because then they'd think you were trash. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You would never take your first date. To, no. to to McDonald's, um, uh, but actually, you might watch One Piece with a with a first. I don't know. You, the folks I will have to let us know. Obviously, One Piece was, I think, number one in Netflix in a ridiculous amount of countries and all around the world. And the other game that we spent some time talking about, Starfield, of course, had a massive launch, played by over six million players, players in its first twenty four hours, just on Game Pass alone. So, there's a very good chance that if you're watching this and or listening to this, then you have played Starfield or watched One Piece, so as a reminder, you can always sound off and get involved in the conversation, either in the comments or in the live chat, or on the Discord if you're a Patreon. There's so many places where you can join in the fun, um, and the fun isn't going to stop anytime soon, Jonesy, if Nintendo have anything to do with it, because as we mentioned earlier, um, the Switch 2 rumours are the rumours that the big red N are subject to, because if you ask some sources in the know, some insiders, some mysterious anonymous Twitter users, or ex-users, I should say, there may well be a Nintendo Direct coming up sooner rather than later. It may, in fact, Jonesy, happen as soon as this week, perhaps even Wednesday the 13th or Thursday the 14th 
of September. Like I said, this is the point where I agonizingly check Twitter while we're live to make sure the Nintendo Direct <laughs> that was announced, like announced, yeah, while we're going. I don't think it's happened. Uh, that, that I think something like that has happened in the past. That's the only reason I'm being um, that's the only reason I'm being doubly careful. But Jonesy, um, as you'd imagine, a Nintendo Direct at this stage is going to be focusing on rounding out the software lineup for what could be, as we discussed earlier, the last year, or perhaps um, you know, the last 18 months or so of the Nintendo Switch being the main man, the head on show, in terms of Nintendo's hardware lineup. And so we're going to be talking predominantly about some of the rumoured software that's going to be coming along. Um, and if some leakers are to be believed, uh, some fans of some long-time absentees from the Nintendo lineup might have a lot to be happy about. One particular leaker whose work we're going to focus on this week is called Pioro, uh, but hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Um, yeah, I think it's... Uh, do you want to have a stab at it? Pioro? I don't know. Pioro sounds right to me. Pioro, Pioro. Pioro. I don't know. Pioro. I want to say it's a WarioWare reference, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, they are a leaker, and if you're wondering what their credentials are, most of them link back to the direct from, I think, June of this year, where they made a number of kind of hints uh, things that ultimately got right, in particular the return of a 2D Mario in the form of Super Mario Brothers Wonder, and I think they also um, heavily hinted at the presence of Super Mario RPG, which was also announced at that Direct and is also due out for release later this year. Um, the big things that are being teased at the moment, Jonesy, both by Pioro himself and, and a couple of other kind of voices in the Nintendo Inside community, the first one is a new F-Zero, potentially a Battle Royale F-Zero, F-Zero, of course, the famous and fan-favorite racing game that has been absolutely starved of new additions in recent years. In fact, um, I pulled a factoid prior to recording that suggested that the last title in the series was a Game Boy Advance game called F-Zero Climax that was released 19 years ago. So um, F-Zero F -Zero fans haven't been... Well, it gets to the point now, Jonesy, where like you have to wonder how many people know Captain Falcon but don't know where he's from. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing. I'm um, one of them. I've never played. Well, there you go. I've never played an F Zero game, but because um, Captain Falcon's in um, Super Smash F Zero, yeah, he's 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 a, he's a, a still a, a hopefully a popular Super Smash Brothers character. So I've played him in Smash Bros, but I've never played. I've never played him in F Zero because I've never played any of the. There F -Zero you go. Games. He is technic technically the protagonist of F Zero, I guess. Um, uh, so there you go. Like that's that, an interesting little insight into just how absent F Zero has been. In spite of, you know, how beloved some of his characters and ideas are, but also just how well received um, some of those games have been over the years. I can't remember. Um, F Zero GX was the GameCube one. Um, 89 on Metacritic, for example. Now, it's my understanding that these games haven't always sold wonderfully well, but that wasn't also always that unusual for some Nintendo first party software at the time. Like, F Zero hasn't become a household name. Um, I think it's high time that something like this returns. How do you feel about it? I, I, I don't have a feeling one way or the other. Like, I'm, I'm like, so, at this point, I'm so like, any, this happens, this seems to happen so regularly these days where something gets brought back from 20 years ago. And I, and I, I'm absolutely, for the fans of it, I'm, I think it's really good. For, for those of us who haven't, who aren't fans, sometimes I'm a little bit like, okay, a new IP would have been nice. But at the same time, you know, no, fair. Okay. yeah. Do it. What, what if we what if we generalized it then and said, like, if you put Mario Kart to one side, 
and you looked at kind of like what Nintendo offer in terms of their first party offerings. And from when I say first party, I mean everything from like Super Mario Brothers and like The Legend of Zelda, but all the way to stuff that like isn't necessarily more edgy, but it's a little bit more out there. Like ironically, like like Star Fox, for example. Um, and I would to say like, would you like to see Nintendo's kind of like take, for want of a better way of putting it, on um, a racing game? Again, putting Mario Kart to one side, that was like had similarities to say like the Wipeout series that was popular on PlayStation. Um, yeah, Wipeout was cool. Um, I, it's weird. I I would say when it comes to racing games, Nintendo's not the first thing I think of because I'm like you know again racing games. Typically, I'm I'm thinking like high frame rates, really glossy, like fantastic looking, and Switch isn't necessarily the platform. But actually, yeah, I know Nintendo could bring something different and fun and very cool to it. So I, I may, maybe I'm dismissing uh, uh, Captain Falcon slightly too quickly. Um, and a, a new F-Zero game would be cool. I, I tell you, the, the possibility of it being a Battle Royale game does pique my interest a bit, because I, am I getting this right that they used to be quite like a, a, a large number of um, like cars racing any one time in F-Zero games? So it was, uh, I, uh, I think I read that. Very before. possibly. I don't so know. I let, really believe it. But yeah, the way that Switch and uh, Nintendo um, do with sort of like interconnectivity and multiplayer games like yeah that no that does sound cool and especially if it do you know what <laughs> given that we were saying earlier there's not been a new mario kart for um eight nine years oh god i don't even know uh yeah it would be good to actually see a see a new racing game from from nintendo yeah. all right i take it i take it back oh i take it back it would be good to well, see. If, if, they're put, if they're putting the label on it if they're putting the nintendo seal of approval on the box then it like you'd hope it's going to be at least all right um so, absolutely. There's I don't think there's, I don't see whether there's any reason not to kind of like wade back into those waters. And I think the same logic also applies to another character who, again, has been sort of a mainstay in you know recent Nintendo history because he continues to appear in other products, in other films, in some cases. But perhaps um, hasn't got the video game legacy that it looked like he was going to build at one point during the '90s. That's Donkey Kong, Jonesy. Yeah, still a fan favorite. He's still there in Smash. He's still a main character of the movie, right? Like, but I'm going to completely uh, be a hypocrite now because I love the idea of a new Donkey Kong game. I'm a... there. You go. Well, yeah. But then, yeah, because you had like, I, you mentioned you had a Super Nintendo. I don't know if you were like a Super a Donkey Kong Country guy. Oh, for absolutely love Donkey Kong Country. So, like, yeah. I, I was the one. I was looking out for Diddy when, um, you know, in the uh, Mario movie, and was like pleasantly yeah. surprised when you when we got a little. Diddy as well. Uh, so yeah, no, a new Donkey Kong game would be would be would be pretty wicked. It would be wicked. It would be wicked. And I, 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 I'm curious. I think the things can be interesting is which direction they ultimately go. Because as I said, like at the time of Donkey Kong Country, like there were people. I feel like there were people in the '90s, even through to the debate between Diddy Kong Racing and Mario Kart, who were bigger Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong fans than they were Mario fans in some respects. Like, not yeah. there probably weren't many of those people, but I think they existed. And then you get into the kind of the turn of the century in the GameCube, and all of a sudden, Donkey Kong was the vehicle used for a for Donkey Konga, which is the game famous for having the Konga drum peripherals that plugged into the GameCube. So it went in a weird direction, and it took a lot, what felt like a long time, to get things back on track. Obviously, Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze was one of the aforementioned graveyard games for the Wii U, which you know was released and was well received on the Wii U, but never really played, and then was re-released on the switch um i think about five years ago now and it felt like that didn't do a huge amount more 
for the amount of eyeballs on that game. Uh, like, did for example, did, 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 did you tap into Tropical Freeze at all when that came to no. the Switch? That's something your kids kind of... No, I didn't. Born, or... I didn't at all. Okay. Um, should have done. Should have done. Uh, I think at this, this point we should give a shout out to uh, the fact that you'd have no Mario if it wasn't for uh, Donkey Kong. Very true. Very true. Shout out Jumpman. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, and, and, and it's funny that you mentioned that uh, the, the origins of both those characters because one of the rumors, I'm not 100% sure what this actually means, but the, one of the rumors around this game is that it's possibly Mario versus Donkey Kong. Um, again, how that kind of manifests in gameplay terms, I'm, I'm not actually super well read on. I apologize. No, um, I, I read that because no, is it a, 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 like a puzzle puzzle games? So less outright sort of full on, you know, Donkey Kong game. If it is a Mario versus Donkey Kong, but I've never played a Mario versus Donkey Kong, so I don't know if I'm being honest. Yeah, uh, I I don't know either. Um, I know that uh, I'm I'm reading the stuff on the fly that it, yeah it was a, a crossover um, between the two franchises based on puzzle platforming. Um, uh, th- there have been more of them than I thought, to be honest. The original one coming out in 2004 on the Game Boy Advance. Um, most recently, there was something called... Actually, that doesn't count because it's an amiibo tie-in. It- it's something that exists. Um, it's something that brings those two characters together. Um, I- it- it's not the way I'd like to see Donkey Kong re- return to the to the mainstream. Um, but if it's the way it's going to go, it's the way it's going to go. It's funny because it seems like in in the modern age, like when someone brings out a really good three D platformer, um, we're all blown away. And you know, and when they bring in sort of cool mechanics, and you you say, "Wow, these games could be absolutely phenomenal!" Like especially you know, get with some puzzles involved as well. And yet, the kings of um, of platformers, you know, at Nintendo just kind of you want. Oh, it'd be amazing if they just went hard on. Hey, here's some amazing epic three D platformers for you from all of these amazing characters that we've got. And they they just kind of don't. Which is yeah, interesting. Interesting sometimes. Um, like we've often talked about, like some of the PlayStation platformers that they sort of bring out, and, they, and what's the? I can never remember the name of it. The one that came with the PlayStation Five, like the little um, oh Astro's Playroom or no Astro's, yeah Astro Bot. Which are just doing some fun stuff with like a cat with a little jumpy character, and you know, and you think, and it's just like cool level design and some and some fun haptics and stuff, and you think, okay. Nintendo's got all of that. It's got haptics. It's got fun level design. Let's let's smash some stuff together, boys, and make a fun little platformer. Get Diddy or Donkey in there. Let's make it. Well, we were guaranteed to get some good platforming action, right, by the end of the year. But we obviously already mentioned Super Mario Brothers. Wonder that had its own direct entirely. I think uh, a couple of weeks ago, fifteen minutes of of action from that game. That game's shaping up really nicely. Um, and just to kind of rattle off a couple of other rumors, there are still other rumors from the realm of 2D Mario games, so we'll see what that leads to. Um, inevitably, re- rumors of more remakes of um, uh, games from prior consoles, in particular um, remakes of uh, DS and a Wii game, uh, possibly the Another Code duology. And we've also been teased about potentially getting more updates on the Princess Peach game, which we got the smallest of snippets of at that June Nintendo Direct uh, they basically just came out and said, hey, we're making a Peach game and a Luigi game, and we'll tell you more about them later. Um, and so I guess it makes sense, even if it is only three months after the fact, uh, that we might get a little bit more on one of those games. Jonesy, do you have any kind of, like, uh, hot takes, any hot desires, any hot passions, anything you'd love to see at this Nintendo Direct? Or are you just going to kind of go in open-minded and hope to be pleasantly surprised by what you see on the day? 
I yeah, I just think I'm I'm hoping to be pleasantly surprised. Like I think it's it's easy with a Nintendo with a director kind of just get the same old fare and to be like, oh okay, oh okay, like just something cool main like so the Kirby game, um, can't remember what's called. I'm terrible with names. Uh, that came out. Kirby's Dreamland. Yes, Kirby's Dreamland. Yes, Kirby's Dreamland. Was it with the wicked? Yeah, uh, like I love playing that. I thought it was fantastic. And when we saw that revealed a direct, was uh, super happy and thought it looked fantastic. And it play it is a great game. Really enjoyed it. I think I've I've played it through like once. My kids have played it through about ten times. Um, you know, and it's it's a lot of fun. And I'm just thinking so. Like, yeah, more of that. More of like, oh, I can't wait to play this Nintendo game. Return Return to Dreamland was the Wii game that got re released on the Switch this year. I think the game that uh, the big Kirby game, the big return for Kirby, was Forgotten Land. The one Forgotten Land, yeah. Forgotten Land. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So more of that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I guess that bodes well for titles like F Zero and Donkey Kong, who could do with a bit of a, a spit polish now as we enter the modern era of Nintendo. Absolutely, we're a little bit pressed for time, but I feel like as I've already promised a couple of news stories, we might as well just touch on them, give the people a few key takeaways. I want to get your thoughts. Uh, before we put a bow on this podcast, I want to quickly mention, while it might not come as a surprise to anyone at all, the E3 has been cancelled once again. Uh, you might remember, of course, that the ESA had big plans to hold um, kind of a big blowout comeback E3 uh, this year. Uh, that was all cancelled at the last minute in March. They were, of course, going to um, team up with the PAX organizer, Repop, but all of that, months of build-up went into it. Nothing manifested in the end. Um Put it this way, Jonesy, the ESA aren't going to wait until next March to to disappoint us all when it comes to E3 of 2024. They're telling us as soon as right now that it is not going to happen. They're not going to hold an E3 at the Los Angeles Convention Center next year. Um, some people are talking about the fact they haven't outright cancelled plans for a 2024 event. All we know is that if it, whatever happens, it's not going to look the same. There are some sources at gamesindustry.biz that suggest that they're actually working on, quote, a complete reinvention of the E3 show. 2025 which would be mean excuse me that we are just under two years away from seeing the return of e3 which i don't, I don't know if that's this is me being skeptical skeptical but that just feels like even more of a fallacy to think that e3 will hold the e3 name will still hold some water but that that it can still be relevant amongst you know the companies that are kind of doing their own things or the events that keely puts on by 2025 seems like a long long shot especially especially as when it came to this year repop claimed that quote um, E3 simply did not garner the sustained interest necessary to execute it in a way that would showcase the size, strength, and impact of our industry. I personally don't see how sitting on your ass for another two years and then coming back in 2025 is gonna um, is gonna change that. If that's what Reed Pop, who are pretty proficient at organizing massive industry events, say, I kind of tend to believe them. How do you feel about E3's chances of coming back in 2025? I I think there's a decent chance of 2025 purely based on the idea that. So their their new way of doing business um, when they were going to bring it back was, hey, we've got a great idea. We're going to start charging um, devs and stuff a load of money to come and showcase their stuff at E3. And uh, apparently everyone said, no, thanks. We're all right. We're doing our own thing. We don't want to pay yeah. you. We just found out about this thing called live streaming. We think we're going to go in that direction. Thank you. I, I, I can imagine, like, you know, game uh, Summer Game Fest was, was, was fantastic in year one. And it's, and it's just growing year on year. I could imagine by 2025... People are starting to say, oh, it would be nice to like, you know, have some big, uh, massive, big showcase like Gamescom to happen right in the summer when people can go and visit it. I could I could see a final blowout year where they they pull all the stops out 
and they get they just make it happen because they're like, if we can just bring it back for one year, then it'll carry on. I think they'll have a big 2025. They'll get some big names in there. We'll have an epic E3, and then it'll be gone for good after that. Oh, well, that's like you think one and done. Yeah, yeah. I think I think they'll they'll have to really go all out to get to make it happen because, like you said, everyone's going to say, "Why would we?" Like they they won't. You know, the model of charging people to be is not going to work anymore. Um, they'll have to do something different. And how do you get people there? If like Reed Pop have said, the you know the the, the people just didn't want to be there. So how do you fix it? I don't know. They're going to have to do something pretty pretty impressive. I feel like that's another that's another year of people figuring out their own way around these things. And this summer, like Xbox had their own event, PlayStation uh, PlayStation had their own showcase, Nintendo had a direct. Um, you know, Summer Game Fest went off without a hitch. That all that stuff is still going to be there in 2024. I just think that um, the idea of there being a big show, the idea of anyone putting money into a big presence for 2025, um, or trying to recapture any of that former E3 glory, seems long lost. I think the most likely thing uh, that happens to the E3 name as the years roll by is that the ESA gives up all all hope and Keeley strikes some kind of a deal where he can use the E3 name to kind of promote his own stuff. Ooh, yeah. Um, Jeff Keeley, if I were him, that's what I'd E3. Yeah. Or just change it to Key 3. Like, actually change it to Key 3. Um, we will have to wait and see. One company who will hope to have a big presence at E3 2025 should it happen, although it's hard to say whether they will or not, is the Embracer Group. Um, they have been making headlines for a lot of the wrong reasons lately, let's be honest, as they continue to undergo restructuring efforts. For anyone that missed any of this stuff, um, this all kind of got announced around June time. Embracer had spent many, many years on something of a spending spree, acquiring a huge number of studios, a huge number of IPs, um, they then suffered a 40% drop in share price following the report of a failed, quote, major strategic partnership. At the time, we didn't know who it was with, but we now believe it was with a company called Savvy Games Group, which is backed by the Saudi Arabian government. That deal could have been worth as much as a few billion dollars. Um, Jonesy, this time last week, we were talking about how Saints Row developer Volition Games was shut down. Effective immediately, Volition were no more. Another developer now with their name in the crosshairs, albeit not at risk of going away entirely. This time, it's one that uh, Reuters claim Embracer are trying to sell, and that is Borderlands developer Gearbox, a company that Embracer bought uh, just two years ago in 2021 for, I think, if a fee like just north of $1 billion. It might be $1.2 billion. I'll have to double-check that. Um, but yeah, um, basically, things not looking great on the Embracer Group front front. Was it an inevitability that, that just going around continuing to spend money willy-nilly on every developer with a with a single sellable IP to their name was going to backfire eventually? I think we yeah we talked about it last week. It's just, it's really it's just sad in a, in you know in effect is these big companies buy up some of these you know really well regarded studios and then when they've when they're in money troubles they just try and get rid of them. And what worries me here is obviously Gearbox. You would have you would think. Yes, someone's going to buy Gearbox. Surely, someone's going to buy Gearbox. Um, You'd hope so. But the reality maybe is that they don't get through it completely unscathed. Like, do they have to sell? Do they have to take a loss? Do they have to, you know, do, do they have? Do they partially sell some of the, you know, some stuff from Gearbox and sign, keep some bits, and it ends up just being a little bit dirty. like it's just really tricky with these with these um, large company sales. But yeah, for two years as well, they've only had them for two years. Like, surely when you did all your, your due diligence two years ago to see whether or not you wanted to buy them and whether they can make money in that. 
surely you're still in the zone of being like, yeah, this was a good purchase. So I was surprised yeah. to see that they would get rid of them so quickly or put them up for sale so quickly. Totally. Like uh, one of the things that I pulled from the report was that um, whilst the new tales from the Borderlands game apparently um, undersold expectations, the uh, other Borderlands spin-off game, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, apparently exceeded Gearbox's expectations. So you're in a situation where like the two games that they've released, I think, since they were acquired, one undersold, one oversold, neither was a massive disaster. And it's a bit like what I said with Volition last year, uh, or last week, excuse me. If you told Volition they are one Saints Row flop away from being, you know, rubbed out from being wiped off the face of the, the earth, they'd go, hang on a second, that wasn't what we thought we were happening with. Like, we thought being acquired would make us more secure. Um, that is sometimes, you know, the logic, the, certainly that the acquiring companies try and kind of spread amongst the companies being acquired. Like, hey, we want you to keep doing what you do, but we're going to give you more money and more space and more freedom to do so, and your jobs have never been more secure. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, man. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why they're selling. They want to sell gearboxes because they're like, okay, they're not. They're not going to be putting anything out for a while. They've just released like a couple of titles. Um, we need to reduce our overheads, and this is a company that are worth money. That are good. That are good old paper. That you know, I've got games out there at the moment that are doing right. I've got a good track record, and so maybe it's it's just one of those things where they're like, hey, look, we know Microsoft are going to buy them, so we'll put them up for sale. Maybe, and I guess, like, when you are desperate, when your back is against the wall, that is when, like, you have to start looking at what you can do to kind of steady the ship, and it may well be that Gearbox are the company that they want to sell the least, but they're the company that they know that are worth the most on the open market, or, like, the perfect amount on the open market. They're looking at that potential, um, you know, whatever it is, that $1 to $2 billion, it's hard to say at the moment, um, $1.3 billion was what they were acquired for. Um, and saying that would be exactly what we needed to kind of like right all the wrongs and make sure we're like we're all good on business and so maybe it is just one of those things where like gearbox are like gearbox are the one-stop solution to the problem and if they don't sell gearbox it would mean like selling 12 other studios which is just a far messier process um but it is strange especially as gearbox were kind of like their go-to guys for a lot of things there was we talked about it at the thing at the end of last year that before volition was shut down uh, Volition were actually, um, uh, uh, it was, well, I can't remember exactly how it worked, but ownership of Volition was transferred to Gearbox. Like Gearbox were involved in what happened to Volition post intro before shutdown. Like Gearbox were the company that were trusted uh, on a lot, with a lot of things by the Embracer Group when it came to like handling IP and managing employees. Um, yeah, they're a big company. I think they're well north of uh, one thousand employees at this stage. So. It's, it's going to be a big blow. Um, but I, I, I suppose when multi-billion dollar deals go down the drain, big blows are what's required to um, to get things back on track. I just don't know if... I just don't know what Embracer Group looks like once this is all said and done. Because they've, they're, they're such a hodgepodge of studios in terms of what's left. Such a hodgepodge of IPs in terms of what they own and like how many of them are actually marketable and bankable nowadays. Um, and you'd imagine they no longer have the purchasing power to go out and acquire new studios as they've been doing on Warpath the last couple of years. So it's going to be a very different look embracer, if nothing else, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those where you can't see how it gets better for them, even after this sale, if they manage to sell Gearbox. And they, you know, what's the next studio they're going to have to sell or going to have to get rid of? It does seem like it could just keep going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Um, I mean, there, there are, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking now, as I do every time. There are still some some big names in there. Um, uh, I, I I don't know what it's going to take, but um, between you know all the THQ Nordic stuff, all the play on and deep silver stuff, um, you've got you know Saber Interactive in there, um, who are obviously own a bunch of other studios themselves, all the way down to like Crystal Dynamics and Idos Montreal and or Montreal and all that stuff, like. There are still heavy, heavy hitters at Embracer Group. They just need to start releasing fucking banger video games. Um, yeah. Simple as that. Simple as simple as that. Do you know what, don't see that would actually be my um, advice industry wide. Um, I'm going to open up a video game consultancy, um, and uh, every time someone comes to me in dire straits, I'm going to say, "Have you considered releasing a banger video game?" Now, oh, if it's so simple, why didn't yeah. I think of that? Yeah. So I, I just drew up like a little. I've got a PowerPoint presentation for you, and it's just slide one, your video game. Slide two, Metacritic score ninety plus. Uh, slide three, genre, open world anything game. Um, microtransactions, yes, please. Um, just a one stop shop. It's like video game development for dummies. Just make it cover it all good. Off. Just make it good. Yeah. Make it good. Make it good. Make it good. Um. Advice that we probably should have followed in the production of this podcast. But it's a bit late for that now, Jonesy, because I think, unless you've got anything else to, to add to those final stories that we rattled through, we've probably got a show on our hands. Uh, we have. I want to really quickly um, just thank everyone in the live chat and just co a couple of comments from people in the live chat before we go. Uh, Captain Crunch said, I think the owner of Embracer has business ventures in Russia, so maybe that could be causing some financial stress as well. Very good point. Um, yeah. 69 DJ saying Wonderlands to my understanding only has like a hundred legendary weapons I am not someone who got really excited when they used to say Borderlands had like a billion weapons so a hundred legendary weapons that sounds fine to me um, uh, Joel saying no surprise to see E3 cancelled Jamie McCarroll saying he's moving um, this weekend where did that call go uh, moving house today wish me luck so good luck Jamie good luck in your um in your move um were there anything else i wanted to mention i think that was it oh uh Yuring is saying um are there any fallout easter eggs in uh starfield um and hoping and saying that the universe is better be connected otherwise they'll be disappointed that's a really good point i hadn't thought about jamie said earlier about some stuff with earth if they get some cheeky little easter eggs fallout isn't it possible for the like, would it be very difficult for the worlds to be connected, given that the whole point of Fallout sort of like revolves around the fact that it's like a nuclear apocalypse? A nuclear apocalypse took place. No, but it's, it's then, one planet, right? So it's like a yeah. No, which which other which other planets do humans inhabit at the time of Fallout? But Fallout, uh, oh no, yeah, when it because Fallout, like, it, like, it would basically it would basically no, actually, it would make sense. It would make sense because so Earth, suggesting Starman came. Humans came out of the the humans that were survived the nuclear apocalypse. Yep. Came out of the vaults, yep. built technology that allowed them to like master interstellar travel, and then began populating other planets around the the known universe. And yep. that's where Starfield is set. Yes, I think you're wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I am as well. But hey, but it's a nice it's a nice idea. And and at Easter Race, why not? Like I haven't found anything yet, but. Who's to say there isn't a Nuka Cola hidden in if you search the right fridge, right, Jamesy? Absolutely. You never know. Right. Yeah. Something to keep an eye out. Um, we will do our due diligence on that front. I assume that all of you watching and or listening will as well. 
a huge thank you to all of you who have made it this far. We do really appreciate you coming on this journey with us. Thank you, Jonesy, for being such a sterling co-host, as always, for bringing expertise, for bringing jokes, uh, for bringing hot takes, and very, very few, actually, some trash opinions, but trash in the same way that one piece is trash, for bringing your McDonald's opinions, Jonesy. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Cheers, everybody. <laughs> Pleasure. Uh, we'll be back here, same place, same time next week. So make sure you tune in, whether you're watching the YouTube live stream, whether you're listening on podcasting platforms, be there or be square. And we will see you on the flip flop. See ya. Bye. And don't forget.